Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Second Corinthians is where we are. We're going chapter by chapter through that book, and today we're in Second Corinthians chapter six. So find that if you would. Second Corinthians chapter six. We'll spend most of our time in the second portion of that chapter. Here's the key concept today. Live within the boundaries set by God. Live within the boundaries set by God. You're finding 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at 14 in a, chapter, verse 14 in a moment. But while you're getting there, let me set up the background for the portion that we're going to be reading from Scripture today. Paul in this portion of Scripture is showing us his rabbinical training. What we'll see him do is take a principle that is established in the book of Deuteronomy and bring it forward to apply to the specifics of his situation in Corinth as he's giving guidance to the Corinthian Christians. And the principle has to do with boundaries, the boundaries of life that, that God sets. We, we, we talk a lot about boundaries when you think about it. We're always mindful of them. If you're a sports fan, there's always the out-of-bounds area. In our property lines, we have boundary lines between properties and so forth so that we can establish what is in and what is out. That word boundaries has now gone from the physical realm into the psychological realm. Christian psychologists Cloud and Townsend wrote a book that's a bestseller by now called Boundaries. They say in that book, having clear boundaries is essential for a healthy, balanced life. Boundaries. Somebody who's always butting into your business, somebody who's always wanting to know things that they really don't have any business knowing about and kind of just, just always kind of, uh, kind of inserting themselves in situations in which they don't belong. We used to call them just a big buttinsky, but now, sophisticated as we are, we can say they have boundary issues, right? Boundaries are all around us. Here's what I want you to know. Boundaries are God's idea. God invented boundaries, and the principle of boundaries is set in Deuteronomy 22, uh, and Paul is pulling that forward. Here's, what, uh, here's the verses he has in the back of his mind. It's this, 22.10, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. You're saying, well, that seems somewhat odd, kind of random uh, rules in life. These restrictions, however, are boundaries, and, and they come in a section of Deuteronomy where how to go about living life sort of rules are given by Moses there, and God cares about the way that his people live. 
He has established rules and boundaries, not just for the sake of having rules, but because he recognizes that these rules give us guidance for living. There's a purpose behind these boundaries. And one aspect of this point is that um, uh, you, can't, you can't put things that are not alike and treat them as if they are alike. That's the boundary that is established in Deuteronomy. An ox and a donkey don't plow in the same way at the same speed for the same duration. If you're using them harnessed together to plow a field, you're going to get a field that's all crooked and messed up. In the same way, sewing together wool and linen will give you a garment that when you wash it, it will not stay together very good, very long. In other words, these rules, as simple as they are, God gives as boundaries so that we will be able to be successful in life. But there's more to the story than just that. There's a deeper significance here, and that is the God who created all that is built into his creation distinctions between things. And the distinction between things brings order and understanding to creation. A natural distinction between things that are not alike. And this principle reminds us that the way the world is God has created. We did not create the world. Therefore, we don't get to change the order of things. A good example of how distinction between things creates order could be your garden at home. Maybe you're a gardener, I don't know, but I have a garden at home, and, and when I think about the vegetable garden there, I, I think about if it's going to be useful for growing vegetables and it's going to be pleasing to the eye to look at, there needs to be a separation between the plants. There needs to be some sense of order, not just randomness. I, I like the story about a man who bought a small farm, and on this farm there was a pretty good-sized garden plot, but it had been neglected for years. It was overgrown. It was infested with weeds. It was basically good for nothing, just kind of all a big mess. And that man saw potential there. He worked hard to weed it, to prune it, to till the soil, to plant orderly rows of vegetables, and, and he even had a section for flowers. And it was a good-looking garden. And, and one day, uh, the pastor of the church came by uh, to visit and he walked by that garden and he remarked this way. He said, oh, isn't God's handiwork of nature marvelous? And the man just could not contain himself. He said, Reverend, you should have seen the mess when God was working his garden by himself. <laughs> and that's a good point. Part of what we do as human beings created in the image of God is to press order into the creation. And this order itself calls for recognizing a distinction between things that are not alike and maintaining that distinction. Now, all of that is the theological backdrop, the principle behind what Paul writes to the Corinthians here in chapter 6. And here's what he writes, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Now, we often use that verse as a text that teaches the prohibition of marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian. And we will see that that application is a correct application. But what I, what I want you to notice, in the setting where Paul first makes this statement, marriage was not what he was talking about. 
He has something different in mind. What he has in mind is the fact that the affections of many of the Corinthian Christians are still yoked to the things of the world, still yoked to the pagan society in which they live. Specifically, he's troubled by their continued participation in the aspects of civic life in ancient Corinth that took place inside pagan temples, feasts, and so forth. It was an issue in 1 Corinthians. We noticed it when we were going through that book, and it's an issue again. See, they are maintaining their participation in their practice in these civic feasts and celebrations taking place inside the pagan temple even while they're naming the name of Jesus Christ. And as such, they are putting themselves in a great vulnerability to be influenced by those things that no longer belong in their life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, what we have to understand is that the pull to participate in these occasions would have been profound. All of us feel a yearning not to stand out, not to be thought of as odd, not to be kind of different or weird. We want to be accepted. We want to be welcomed. And we have to, have to understand that the center of civic life in these ancient cities was the pagan temples. And don't think of ancient pagan temple worship like coming to church. That wasn't the way, that wasn't the practice. There was no sermon, there was no worship music, there was no message for life guidance. In fact, for most of the, of the groups that worship the pagan gods, there was no sense of congregation at all. A few did have that, but not most. But really, the pagan worship revolved around sacrifice to appease the gods and some kind of ritual related to that sacrifice, and then celebration times. It was the, the center of the life of, of social life, feasting and holidays and so forth. The, the temples in the ancient cities were kind of the country clubs of the time. That is where people socialized and they, they had their, their events. And feasting was bound up uh, in that event. But it was connected to the temple, connected to the ritual. So in other words, when you went there and participated in those events, you were not just getting a meal. You were making a statement, and the statement would have been taken to mean, even though I call myself a Christian, even though I identify that way, I still honor the old gods as gods. You're yoking yourself back to that which was in your previous life. And Paul is saying, don't do it. Don't join in. You should stand up in opposition to that pagan worship. Don't be caught up in that lie, in that kind of live and let live attitude that there's no distinction. These things are not alike. Don't treat them as if they are alike. There's a boundary here. Paul is saying you need to consider yourself follower of Jesus as a new breed. You need to be, understand that you are a new creation. You need to step away and not participate in those things, those activities, which will pull you back to your pre-Christian way of thinking and way of living. You are new now, so be different. Now, a primary application of this, almost kind of one-to-one -one correspondence for us today in this principles of boundaries between spiritual things would have to do with what we see in our culture today called interfaith meetings or ecumenical kind of worship. 
for believers to practice in participate in religious meetings or programs that carry the message that there's not a distinction between the true faith in Jesus Christ and all the false ideas and false isms that are out there that is precisely the kind of behavior that Paul is writing against here in Corinth because we live in a world very much like Corinth with a hodgepodge of ideas all around us, a hodgepodge of religious views, and the, the sophisticated voices of our culture ask us to be, uh, to be tolerant. But when they use the word tolerant, they don't mean that we should tolerate. They mean that we should accept and blend in and see everything as equally true and equally false. Everybody can just choose their own way. And Paul would rise up against that, as we should, and he would say, no, these things are not alike. Do not treat them as if they were alike. And he gives the reasons. Starting in verse 14, the middle, it says this, For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will walk with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. So these are the reasons between, before the distinction and the boundaries because of the contrast that exists. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Nothing. What does light and darkness have in common? They can't coexist. When you turn on the light, the darkness goes away. What harmony is there between Christ and Satan? Many of your Bibles, if you're looking at your text, you'll have the word Belial there. And uh, here again, Paul is showing his rabbinical training. The word Belial meant wicked or shameful or lawless, but it came to be used in Hebrew usage interchangeably with Satan. I don't even know if his Corinthian readers would have understood that, quite frankly. That's a very Hebrew thing. I almost get the sense that Paul is on a roll here, and he's emotional, and they might not have even known that he's pointing out something that, you know, Belial, which means Satan, but I think they get the gist, and the gist is he's not happy. He's not happy with what he sees. These things don't go together. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? The point is not to start to list all the things that we do, you know, we both eat, we both breathe, we both sleep. That's not the, the point. The point is to think about the spiritual distinction. We are made new in Christ. What agreement is there between the temple of God and the pagan temples. There's a boundary there. These are the stark examples, the reasons that we should honor that boundary. But there's an underlying reason that's embedded in verse 16. It says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. God dwells within his people. And he dwells within his people in a way that's to be compared to the way he dwells in the temple. The significance of that statement maybe is a little lacking for us. But for the first century hearers, particularly those who were familiar with Judaism, recognizing that the temple in Jerusalem was still standing as he said those words or as he wrote those words, this would have been a, a monumental statement that we are the temple of the living God. God dwells in us. 
He's making that comparison in just the way that spiritually God is present in the Holy of Holies in the temple. He is present in you, believer. He's already made this point to this same church. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Your body, individual believer, is a spiritual dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, just as he dwells in the temple. So as you would be careful to do the right things and say the right things as you would be careful about your behavior if you were on the temple grounds approaching God in worship there, so too you should be careful what you do with this body because God is in residence in this body. Everywhere you go, God is present. It means, Christian, you carry a sacredness with you every day. In every interaction, in every place that you go, God dwells within. That banner over you is God is in residence here. And so how can we apply this principle of distinction between things and honoring ourselves as the temple of God and what God is doing through us and in us today? How can we, how can we bring this principle forward? Are we wrong here at Quell? When we say, based on this verse, 614, that we don't marry, our staff does not do weddings for Christians and non-Christians, that's a a situation in which we will not be involved. I don't think we are, because I think that the principle is here. This this boundary should be present. Paul pulls pulls the principle from Deuteronomy to Corinth, and we move it into the 21st century. But let's be reminded of what he's not saying. First of all, he's not saying that you should have no social contact with unbelievers. He's not saying that. The example is Jesus himself, who was called the friend of sinners, going there where righteousness and salvation was needed, and we should as well. He's not calling Christians to quit their job if they work for secular employees. Throughout the scriptures, we see examples of righteous people who are working in employment settings where there were unbelievers. The two heroes of the faith come to mind. That is Joseph and Daniel, both working in pagan contexts, but both living strong for the one true God. Neither is he calling you to be what I call howl at the moon weird in the way that you dress or act as a believer. Paul looked like any other man of his age. Jesus and the apostles, they look like any other individuals of that day. God is not calling you to adopt some crazy out-of-date fashion and call that holiness. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that you need to recognize where the prohibition lines are. There is prohibition here. I I, I think it does apply to the marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. Now, we've already established from 1 Corinthians 7 that if you're already married to a a, a person who doesn't know Christ and you are a follower of Christ, that is not grounds for divorce. Paul is clear on that in 1 Corinthians 7. But here, this principle means that a believer in Jesus should not initiate a marriage with a non-believer. That's a relationship that should not take place. Why? Because these two are not alike spiritually. They are not the same thing. And the principle here causes that restriction. They are in different spiritual categories. But there's more. For instance, 
A 50-50 business partnership with unbelievers is a yoked relationship that a believer should not be in. Partnerships are mutually dependent, just like marriages. You can be unequally yoked in the business world just like you can in a marriage, and it is to be avoided. It doesn't mean do business only with Christian companies, but it means heed this concern. A 50-50 business yoke can be a minefield of very practical and very spiritual issues. Because why? These two things are not the same. These partners are not in the same spiritual category. And it certainly means for us that multi-faith worship experiences should be avoided. The kind of experiences that blur the lines between what is true and what is false. To make it seem like everybody's faith is equal when they are not. And when we see the difference, Paul says, rewards come as you obey. Verse 17, Therefore come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the reward. We can sum it up in two words, favor and fatherhoods. God's favor is promised. I will receive you. God's fatherhood, which is already there, but it's that sense of you will be living in the sense of obeying me as your father. And I will be guiding you as a father who loves you. Paul is putting together quotes here from Isaiah and Ezekiel and 2 Samuel and just mashing them all up together and saying, there is reward here when you obey and live within the boundaries that God sets. There's God's favor and that there's God's fatherhood. But the challenge for us is, do we value those rewards? Do we really think that it's worth it to pass up some opportunities in order to find the favor and the fatherhood of God. Do you, do you believe that it, was, it would be better for you not to marry that person that you're attracted to but he, who is a non-believer in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that it would be better to pass up that business merger that looks like it might be a windfall in order to live inside the boundaries that God established? Paul would say to us, yes, it is worth it. It is forever worth it to find the favor and the fatherhood of God because when we do, that is a promise. And in that promise, we are set to live the way God wants us to live. And so our thoughts end up with chapter 7, verse 1. It says, since we have these promises, the favor and fatherhood of God, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is the kind of life we are meant to strive for. We are meant to strive for that, uh, that perfection, that purity, putting aside the worldliness that would contaminate by bringing in all kinds of other things and recognizing that living within God's boundaries, we are able to find what He, gives, he, what he has for us. And what He has for us is always perfect and beautiful and right. His favor and fatherhood. And that's what we, that's what we long for. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we know that sometimes we blow it. Sometimes out of pride, we think we know better and we go over the boundary lines. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness for that. And we pray that you would give us good direction, that you would give us wisdom, that you would enable us to recognize that all around us we are tempted to be pulled back into the things of the world. But we are made new in you. So, Lord, help us to live out that newness, we pray. Enable us to establish the distinction that we are 
recreated in the image of Christ. Guide our thoughts and our minds as we make decisions every day for how we are to live. We want to live for you. But we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to in just a moment go our separate ways. I want to remind you that we have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table there waiting for you to pray. Maybe there's a decision you need to make and you want to make it within the boundaries of God. They will help you do that. Or maybe it is just to be introduced to the Savior that they know. You slip forward after we pray in just a moment. But before we pray, let's sing. And I think we'll sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. That seems to fit, right? Okay, let's sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. For the 50% of you who were singing, very well done. For the rest of you, let's all join together. Ready? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Lord, we pray that you would dismiss us now with your blessing. As we go into the week ahead, we will have opportunities to recognize the boundaries between things and gain guidance from you. So help us, Lord, prayerfully live lives that would reflect your glory. Enable us to represent you well, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.